0: Remember the story of Peter. Peter who denied the Lord. What a horrible thing that he did. in mean, Jesus' hour of need after he has been arrested. Peter, who had been the loud mouth of the disciples, who had been the bold leader, who had been the one who had said, you are the Christ. That very Peter, the very one, he was the one who denied the Lord three times, even though the Lord told him he would ahead of time. And he said, oh no, that could never happen. That would never happen. But in actual fact, he did, and he was deeply sorrowful for his behavior and what had happened, that he had let the Lord down in his great hour of need. But we do read on in the chapter in John, as we look in the latter part of the book of John, that Jesus restored Peter and brought him back and restored him to the fellowship. It is interesting that as we look at that story and the history that happened, that Peter never had the prominence in the disciples that he did again. He was not the leader. He elected James to be the leader of the disciples, which would have been Peter's position if he had, we are speculating that that's what would have happened, but it probably would have been true. Jesus simply asked him three different times, do you love me? That was the test that he gave. Do you love me, Peter? And as you remember the story, you can refresh your memory about that story and the... uh, Incident that happened with Peter in chapter 21 of the book of John. So what we learned from that was Jesus forgives. It's amazing that Jesus, even though when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To those who were put nailing him to the cross. How could that happen? It tells us something about Jesus and his love. It tells us something about Jesus and how that he does not hold grudges. Remember that. We also find that uh, when uh, Stephen was stoned, the first Christian martyr in 34 AD, when he was stoned, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Same sort of thing that had happened. That same sort of forgiveness that was offered to them immediately was offered by Stephen, just as it had been by Christ just a short time earlier. We read that story in the book of Acts in chapter 7, but what happened was that there was a man there who was standing watching the whole thing by the name of Saul, who became a great persecutor of Christians, and he went after them. You can read the story, but in Acts 9, while he was making his way on the road to Damascus, on his way to go chase and uh, imprison Christians, men and women, didn't matter, it was on his way that the... Light of God struck down from him and blinded him and asked him, What are you doing? Why are you working against me? And he looked up and he saw. He, Paul took this. Saul, who later became named by Paul, became that was his conversion or his experience to be a disciple, an apostle of Christ. He took that experience as his encounter with Jesus and he became the greatest Christian theologian and the greatest Christian missionary that the world has ever seen. So it is interesting in the writings of Paul that we find this particular passage in which you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to pick up at the very end of that as we go on in chapter 1. Unfortunately, the chapter breaks don't naturally follow the logic of the discussion. So we pick up the discussion of what I'd like for you to look at in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Now you should know that before we look. From the writings that we get from First and 2 Corinthians, we believe that there is another book of Corinthians, another letter of, that Paul wrote to Corinth, that was in between those. That there was a first, and then this one that we do not have and never found, And then a second one, which would have been the third one, a letter. The reason we get that is you'll see a little bit in the reasoning here, as he argues with him and talks to these people, um, is mentioned about this. And so he doesn't mention the letter, but we're getting by inference about what the story is about as he shares it. So would you pick up with me in verse 23? I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we would lord over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith that we stand firm. So that raises a question because it doesn't seem to quite fit with the end of the first uh, letter to the Corinthians that we find that. So the assumption is that there is some part of it missing. So we don't have that, so we can't deal with that to know. However, the message still comes through. And so we go on into the second chapter, just follow right on down with, with, would you? with me in verse 1. So I made up my mind, Paul says, that I would not make another painful visit to you. So evidently his visit that he had come before had been painful to many of them. Now just to give us a kind of a context about this, there were troubles in the Corinthians church. They were struggling back and forth. They had things they had to deal with as a church family. And as a result of that, there was a divided house on how to handle things. That never happens now, does it? Oh, no. <laughs> no, never, never. Never happens now. But there was division among them how they were going to handle the issue. And so that... When he came and gave instruction, evidently some people took a different view. And it was painful for them. And he said, so I decided not to come back and make your pain more. You see, he went first on with kind of a tough love. He had to deal with that. Had to deal with this problem. And so in the second verse, he says, for for if I grieve you, who was left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? So I wrote to you. As I did, so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I have confidence in you all that you are uh, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you, verse 4, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And as I saw that again, I looked at that. Let you know the depth of my love, the depth of it. So the writings that he was sharing with the Church of Corinth was to share with them. I'm writing you and saying these things to you about what you need to do and about my, well, criticism, my critique, my encouragement, in order for you to know that that's how I love you. I'm sharing with that with you. Please don't get upset. He also said in Ephesians, we won't look there at the moment, but. Instead, he would say, speak the truth in love, which can be very difficult, very difficult to, to say. Well, years ago, I had a man in my church that um, he felt that it was important that he call it like he sees it. Yeah. So he had no confrontures. He said, I, uh, I pride myself in that I'm frank about things, and I let people know exactly what I'm thinking And what I think of him, and he was an elder in our church, and he did. He just let it fly, no matter what it was, and he hurt people's feelings all through the church. Eventually, the church got so sick of it, they took him out of being an elder. They got so sick of his being frank. Well, I'm just being honest. Yeah, brutally, hurtfully, that's not what Paul is talking about. I thought this was interesting. If we find ourselves taking secret pleasure in words that give pain, it means that we are deficient in love. Only love that feels the pain of another's wrongdoing can awaken repentance. Their sorrow, Paul was saying, their sorrow was his sorrow. That's what he was telling them. He was saying, their joy was his joy. It's all old Swedish proverb that a shared sorrow is a half a sorrow, but a shared joy is a double joy. By sharing your sorrow, by sharing it, it seems to let us go. It's what Paul was saying. I'm there, I will share in your joy, but I also will share in your pain and in your sorrow. Years ago, I used to be on a committee that uh, we examined young pastors who were coming who wanted to be ordained, to be ordained, and they had to go to the ordination committee. I remember my going through that process as well, and you get your suit on, and you sit there with them, and you smile, and you hope they like you, and that they will say, "Oh, you're you're doing." They look over what what your ministry has been, and they hope they'll vote for you. Well, when, we, when I was on the committee, we were asking, does this individual, does this particular pastor, have a pastor's heart? And what we were looking for is, does he have compassion for the people that he is ministering to? Does he love his congregation? And it's interesting, as I have been through my ministry, and that I even love those who are abusing me. I don't say that in pride, but it's it's a pastor's heart because you go out to fit. I love that person. They're part of my church family. And I care for them. So that was a good question. Do we does he have a pastor's heart? Does he care for people? Did he have the pastor's heart that Paul had? I share in your joy, but I also share in your pain. And I don't wish to bring any more pain to you. Genuine love. Cannot accept superficial solutions of troubles that disturb the church. You just can't say, well, we hope it'll go away. You see, love does not mean merely the cancellation of a debt or showing of kindness to someone that has wronged us, it means an effort to restore to fellowship one who has broken. Ooh. You know what? That's not easy to do. That is not easy to do. All right, back to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look on. The F means simply following that verse and following. Verse 5, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much as grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient, he said. The church had taken action. Well, of course, our question is, well, what did he do? What did he do? What in the world did this guy do that got the church all so upset that they had to do something, take action? We don't know. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. But what was clear was not everyone agreed on what they did, that there was dissension in the church. Some were saying, oh, we were too harsh. Others were saying, we were too soft. Others were saying, we should have done this. We should have... Done this. There was dissension about it. But now Paul goes on to say in verse 7, now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Therefore, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. And gentleman, whatever he had done, had grieved the church to such an extent that he divided the church. He, he was having a terrible time. They were struggling to cause this great dissension among the church. We don't know what he did. But now Paul comes back and says, now it's time for the church. You've done, you've done your thing to him. Now it's time for the church to come around and reaffirm your love for him. He goes on and says, another reason that I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything you forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The power of evil is constantly trying to destroy the fellowship of Christian believers in the church. Did you get that? The power of evil is constantly trying to destroy the fellowship of Christian believers in the church. Sometimes it's over the pettiest of things. At least to me, I had a woman very, very upset with me time when I took her vase of flowers and moved it to the side so that the band, yeah, I mean the, the quartet, could play up on the stage. She said, I worked hard on those flowers and they should have been kept in the center. And she was very upset with me that I had moved it over to the side. Mm divisive. I learned my lesson. Don't touch the flowers. So what happens if we don't forgive? If we don't take Paul's counsel? What happens to the church inside when it doesn't there? Well, there's a movie out coming out years ago with uh, Clint Eastwood called Unforgiven. I have not seen it. I have not seen it. But the title intrigued me about being unforgiving. And so I read a little bit about what the storyline is about. And I don't want to get into that. But what happened in the storyline is it turns brutal and ugly as the longer it goes on. Until finally, we have this great murdering shootout, and it's all done. And as I was thinking about that, about that's what you do when you're not forgiving. Get to that time, and humanity was at its worst elements that were there in that story. And I guess it was a very popular thing, I didn't see it, but if you're into that sort of thing or have seen that, maybe you could relate to that. The being unforgiven, holding that, that grudge, keeping that. You know, we all have troubles in this world, don't we? Every one of us have difficulties and struggles and things we are working on. Things that happen. I do. And we have those struggles that happen to life. Because we all have sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all there. That one thing puts us all at the same boat, doesn't it? All on the same level. We all have sinned. So none of us can say, I'm above you. No. Because we all are forgiven and saved by the grace of Christ there. But we often come back and say, well, we have our standards. We have our standards. Well, as I was reading this passage, I, I wanted to look at this, and I wanted to say, well, protecting standards or restoring people, are they in different realms? Is is that, what, is that protecting the standards, or are we working to restore them? And Paul said to us, we must restore them in love. Not that we don't have standards, not that we don't have Biblical principles that we need, but we are to restore them back, bring them back into the fellowship. Well, I was sitting in uh, pastoral training years ago at Pacific Union College, and our instructor, Carl Kaufman, was uh, sharing this story with us. He had had in his church a man whose daughter, his daughter had um, become with child without being married. And he was very upset about it. He was very disappointed in his daughter that this had happened. And therefore he did not go to the wedding. They had a wedding and had thing and didn't go to it. And so he sat and so he didn't speak to his daughter for several years. No communication between him and his daughter because he was so upset about this had happened. So the pastor went to visit him, because now he's really a sour person. And he went to visit him, and he talked to him, and he said, don't you want to restore things with your daughter? Don't you? And, oh, I would love to, but I don't know what to do now. It's been such a long time. It's been a couple of years. I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years. And so the pastor said, well, why don't you do something as a gift to her? What does she need? struggling. What does she need? What what could you give her to try to restore back? And he said, well, what she needs is a refrigerator. Well, go buy her a refrigerator. So he did. He went and bought a refrigerator and took it over to her little humble place where she was living with her husband and their baby. Met his Granddaughter, for the first time, and there was weeping and asking for forgiveness and cleansing and restoration. See what is it like to be truly forgiven? Truly. was asked to come and pastor their church in Boring, Oregon. Can you remember that? Boring, Oregon. You know, you can't have the Boring Seventh-day Adventist church on your sign. That just that just does not work. <laughs> I understand at one time they were considering asking Pastor Dallas Dull, D-U-L-L, to be their pastor. Can you imagine that? The Boring Seventh-day Adventist church of Pastor Dallas Dull as their pastor. They thought the better part of wisdom and did not ask him to be their pastor. But when I arrived, shortly after I arrived there as their pastor, senior pastor, I, I was sitting with the board and they basically shared with me this concept that they had worked through together as a church family because they had been divided and gone through struggles with people. Just like Paul had mentioned, and they said, Let's work together to help them through their crisis. Let's not shame them, but love them. Let them know our church is a safe place for them and all their struggles. in the church. Divorce happens and the church did not try to investigate to throw which one out but worked with the family so the children could have a safe place to worship with their parents even though they sat on opposite sides of the church. uh, They were not shamed. They were not brought up for ridicule. They were surrounded by love. It helped them through an incredibly difficult time. I was proud of the way they were able to do that for people. And it makes me ask, what about him? Dear Lord, it's a tough question for us to ask ourselves. It has many implications. It has many things, Lord, that are are difficult for us to answer and to look at. We want to stand up for truth and what is right. We don't want to endorse evil. Lord, people get caught, and as you know, just like Peter denied you, three times a horrible thing that happened. And yet your great love for him restored him. We look at his story today and we look forward to meeting Peter and putting our arms around him thanking him for hanging in and going through that terrible dark hour. and the great service he did as a follower we can't read people's hearts you can but Lord help us to be loving and kind as you are to everyone who falls in need we all go through those moments may we be as gracious To others as we wish them to be to us. We are in need. We ask your Spirit to guide us then. As the weeks and months go ahead, let us talk together as a church family, Lord, to know how we are going to relate to others. That this house may be a place. For people who are never shamed, but are always known they're loved. The doorway back to you is always open. In Jesus' name.